2: Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Chances are you've tried dieting at some point in your life and might have lost some weight, but the question really is for how long? It's often a vicious cycle, and I see it happen time and time again in my retrition clinic. The approach to dieting is all too often extreme and very restricted, with the promise of quick results. So, this week's Food for Thought sees registered dietitian and author Ilana Mulstein and I explore the foods we can all eat which could encourage sustainable weight loss and support our health for the long term. Hello, Ilana! Hi, how are you? (laughs) I am very, very well. I know we've been trying to get together to record this episode, well, remotely. Um, so I'm relieved that we've managed to make it. Um, let's start Ilana, by discussing the fact that there are so many restrictive diets out there. I know it's something you talk about a lot, but how do you find a weight loss regime that still sees you enjoying your food?
3: Uh, the first things first is, you know, people always suffer for motivation. I hear people ask me all day, how do you stay motivated? How do you stay motivated? And you know, if you're looking at going on a diet that you've tried in the past and you want to do again, that was painful or miserable, we are conditioned to avoid pain. So you're not going to have any motivation consistency or long-term results with that because biologically we're wired to not want to endure optional pain, right? So you have to make sure that you're enjoying the journey, that you are feeling fulfilled and enjoying every step of the way while losing weight so that you want to stay consistent with it, that you can start to view weight loss as a treat and not feel the need to only fantasize about food-based treats um, that you were able to eat before your diet. So I basically designed my weight loss program and have lost my 100 pounds, creating that sense of an enjoyable and as free as possible feeling program. So it's something you actually want to stick with and not just lose the weight with, but actually it's something you can easily maintain for years and years to come.
2: Yeah, I think maintenance and obviously being sustainable and realistic, all of those things there. it does definitely need to be a message that I think is got across in mainstream media the fact that it's you don't have to lose the enjoyment because let's take for instance if you're ordering some food in so takeaways, we call them over here it's, it's takeout over there isn't it as well mm-hmm. so yeah, you're getting a takeout. Um, what are some healthy food swaps that people could perhaps make if they're um, if they're treating themselves to a night of food like that? It's such a good question,
3: uh, especially because I just had a private client, and I was talking to her about it. That I still, fe- I'm still seeing like old dieting habits in mm-hmm. her food tracker, and I really want her to fix it because you sh- even though she lost five pounds in the last two weeks, it's great. But I'm seeing some behaviors that don't seem sustainable. So, for example, like. She's losing, she lost five pounds in the last two weeks, and that's great, but she has days where she's eating, you know, an abundant amount of vegetables and eating, you know, throughout the day and really fulfilled. And then she had like a few mornings where she went to a bagel store, which a bagel Mm. store over here in the United States, I mean, the bagels easily have six servings of bread. And she got it with like cream cheese and then she kind of like goes the rest of the day without eating a lot. Um, and then she went to a pizza place and got this personal pie, which again, here in the United States, a personal pie is the equivalent of half of a family size pie. I mean, it's oh, there's nothing personal about it. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, we have to, I have to show you that you can make healthy choices and still have a bagel and still maybe have some pizza while at these places but know that you could potentially order the chopped salad because that pizza place i love to go on the menus when i'm working with a client in the uk and israel or all around the world i love to you know figure out if Mm. i were in their situation if i were opening that menu what i would look for first and i saw that there's like certainly a chopped salad with a decent amount of protein. You could get it with turkey or tuna or chopped egg or tofu. And then share that personal pie, because again, there's nothing personal about, Mm -hmm. you know, seven servings of pizza. I still can't get over the name,
2: Ilana, personal pie. I'm still still processing it.
3: (laughs) Oh, you guys don't have a personal pie option? No, we don't. (laughs) And if you saw the size of these personal pies, I mean, it's outrageous you know, it's really important to understand like swaps and making modifications uh, and not having an all or nothing mentality because you need to have those swaps for life. Like I was explaining to her in terms of like a bagel and a cream cheese, a bagel and a cream cheese also in the United States has so many servings of bread. And then all the cream cheese is really high in fat. There isn't a lot of fiber in there. There's not a lot of filling protein. So when you make these you know, simple, easy modifications, it, you really can have it all, just not mm.
2: all at once. <laughs> yeah, no, no, of course. And I completely respect that it's so difficult. I think when, when things are labeled, as we've just discussed, the personal pie and portion sizes are incredibly deceptive, especially in a place where they just, yeah, they want you to buy it. They want you to keep coming back. They they probably think, oh, they want their money's worth. Or I guess there's so many reasons why food outlets would serve food that's not obviously one portion. I think we've kind of lost a concept. And I think Kalana and I, just for our listeners, are not saying bread is bad or cheese in a bagel is bad. We're just saying that you can have it, but it's just getting the portions right. And it's, it's nothing to do with willpower. It's almost a- um, Right. It's your environment, isn't it? It's what you're kind of born into. It's It's not well paid. Yeah,
3: it's so, it's, I mean, that is the biggest thing I wish more people knew, uh, Mm -hmm. that I feel like dietitians have a lot of upper hand on, or anyone who's read any books on mindful eating, or any studies from Dr. Brian Wansink. Once you really understand marketing and that insight means in stomach, and that they give you white bread at the start of the meal because studies show it increases how much you're going to eat by 30%. Mm. Um, and it means that they're going to, you're going to end up ordering more. Um, it's, it really helps to feel just so empowered that it, it's not you. It's uh, so much of our environment is working against us.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's actually really fascinating as well to hear. And that's what I love about the podcast is getting to speak to yourself over in in the States. And obviously the guests I have in Europe, the different cultures and the way you view things. But I think one particular meal that has been demonized over here in the UK, I'm not sure what it's like over there at the moment, Ilana, but breakfast, there's lots of people talking about fasting and um, breakfast good, breakfast bad. What are your takes on, um, on breakfast as a whole, in terms of keeping, I guess, a healthy, healthy mind and body? Sure,
3: I mean, I need it. Um, I, I mean, I definitely operate better with food first thing in the morning, mm, or within 30 minutes. But I also, listen, when it comes to intermittent fasting, like to each a zone, some people works really well for, some people it just causes them to binge eat in the other times and so forth. So I'm always like open-minded to everyone figuring out if it works and also just try to encourage people to you know, not just follow it for the sake of following it, but to follow it only if it's helping um, because everyone's obsessed with the longevity and things like that. But if it's causing you to binge eat, feel guilty, overeat, cause inflammation, there's no health benefits you're gonna be achieving from it, right? So everyone is their own on there. When it comes to a weight loss perspective, I've always been in the notion from studying metabolism and biology and even just in my personal weight loss journey and studying with clients, I've always seen that people burn if not exactly 50% more, but at least several more calories in the first half of the day than the second half of the yeah. day when you're actually active and using your brain and up and about. So from my perspective, if anyone is going to do intermittent fasting where I have a client who's interested, I always prefer them to eat in the first half of the day and then, you know, after a filling snack at around two, three, like be, you know, done for the day. If only and only if it's working for them and
2: Yeah, and I do think that there's there's too much emphasis on um will we lose that common sense approach that you've literally just said it's common sense when you are extremely active and as we unwind towards the end of the day and also biologically I guess you you don't really want to have a hugely heavy meal to sleep on if you're going to bed pretty soon after eating a meal but lots of people put numbers and time frames on nutrition and diet and health so perhaps you can't eat after 6pm or it could be 7 or 8 or whatever rigid time whereas actually that's not really what we're talking about are we we're just talking about the fact that your body will probably do more with the energy that it's given throughout a prolonged time period your body doesn't know oh it's six o'clock therefore i cannot eat right right now
3: (laughs) right and so i've uh, i have a big principle within my weight loss program uh called dinner and done where i really really try to encourage people to be dinner and done because i find it's really that late night snacking that is so emotional and behavioral and, and really not nutritional. Right? Like, unless you're someone who starved themselves all day and, you know, now, because then I find it's late at night. People don't eat all day, then they eat all night, they just snack in front of the television and they start to justify, well, I didn't eat all day and, and just so much sabotaging. It's not good for digestion, for going to sleep and so forth. So listen, if you're working out late at night or you have some, you're some sort of exception to the rule or you take a medication or a supplement, of course, you could have something at night, but it is definitely uh, a principle I try to encourage within my program because I find it just helps so many people, Uh, but I've never in my life actually told someone a particular time. You know, I have clients who at least pre-pandemic are in the office till 8 p.m. at night. Like I would never tell Mm -hmm. them stop eating at six if they're in meetings till eight and they don't have that opportunity. So I'm always just like, whenever you have dinner, you have that last meal, try to be dinner and done. But when all these people are really like have apps on their phone and they're going by alarms and trying to fast within these windows, um, I do think it could be, you know, it would, at least for me, it would be very hard for me to not feel deprived and strange. And I just, I'm so a type of person who recognizes that everyone is different. And I have never had an identical day in my life. Like mm-hmm. I have never been able to look at a day in my food journal and be like, wow, today I eat the exact same thing as yesterday. Is Maybe it's because I'm a Gemini or I'm just like <laughs> a creative type or I love food too much. I crave variety. But I just feel like there's something just so, you know, I don't know, like the rule following is so. That's I don't know crippling. Yeah, that's to the bit. A it's the rules. Yeah, personality and i and identity.
2: Mm, I think when we set rules, it's a mindset that once you break it, it can almost feel like a failure, and it can lead to a bit of a, a downward spiral. Because I know that a lot of clients that I see in clinic have a thing as well, and I think I was brought up like this. That, for instance, if I have my main, I must always have something sweet like dessert afterwards. Now, is mm-hmm. this something, I'm sure it must be, that you see with a lot of your clients and work that you do? And what would be a solution for people listening that are thinking, right, I always have a sweet tooth after dinner, but dinner and done, I just don't quite get how I'm going to get past that.
3: Right. So, listen, I... I... I've seen thousands of private clients in my private practice for the past, you know, 10 years now and working at UCLA and so forth, um, about 10 years now. So I've never given anyone the exact same framework, but when I created my To Be Mindset Nutrition and Weight Loss Plan that is now accessible to, you know, over 2 million people, like I had to kind of filter down to some principles, but mm-hmm. I always tell everyone, it always comes down to what I call my two bunnies, my core four, <laughs> um, which is drink lots of water, drink water first before your meals. Really try to go for veggies most, like not just veggies some, but really try to fill up on lots of veggies, especially if you're a volume meter like me. Uh, and just write down everything. And then I do like when people use the scale as a measuring tool for success, but of course you could always use other measuring tools in addition to that. But it, I always say, like, you can't cheat. There's no cheating as long as you're writing it down. Like, as long as you just – and you don't have to write down points or macros or calories. I actually have a whole host of theories on why I don't like people doing that. Um, but literally, like, you eat a chicken thigh, a handful of cheese crackers, and three chocolate chips – just write it down. I always say, like, you bite it, just write it. Like, take all the guilt out. Once you write it down, you're only cheating if you're just not accountable to it because then you're just not learning from it. Then you're not, you know, actually seeing if it's helpful or not. If you, I have so many people who do my program and who've had been clients of mine who always put in like a chocolate uh, ice cream pop after dinner every single night. And even, I sometimes even encourage people to have a planned dessert after dinner because sometimes that actually helps them overcome sweet temptations throughout the day because they know they have that like sweet dessert that they actually really Mm. love at the end of the day. So you can totally add it in. Uh, I do recommend people plan for it. So it's not like, oh my God, I'm cheating, I'm unsatisfied. Now I'm gonna rummage through my pantry and you know, eat the last crumb in every cereal box. I rather people try to find even like a high protein dessert that would only help them stay fuller longer through the night. If people have a sweet tooth and wanna have a sweet every single night and don't wanna cut that habit, it's not something they have to do. I just recommend working it into the plan rather than seeing it as a complete failure when they have a couple chocolate covered pretzels. Cause it doesn't have to be that way. You could write that down and actually see that you can lose plenty of weight doing that every night as long as it's a handful you're accountable to and not with the concept of, oh, I cheated. So now I might as well eat three boxes of it. Because in that situation and scenario, I find people are really just cheating themselves when you try to like hide from it and then feel like you're cheating. And then, God, it's just such a horrible mindset that people get themselves in around food and nutrition. I I really hope
2: everyone in the world can repair that if that's the cycle they're in. Oh, it's the psychology, I think, behind the nutrition. A lot of what you've just said, I think um, it's when you don't allow yourself something, like you said, you're not honest with yourself. And if you want to go for the full thing and really go for that... Um, I don't know, huge chocolate cookie that you've really fancied, then go for it and enjoy it and move on from it. That's when I think it can become a problem, like you said, with the accountability. And we know that obviously that stems to a lot of deep-rooted stuff as well for so many people. But it's so refreshing to hear that, of course, which you are a qualified dietitian, so of course it's going to be, but that you're not about restriction and saying that it's completely off limits forever and always, because it's just not going to be sustainable. and. I guess one thing I love that you said in that as well was that you said, I'm a volume eater, you said, and you like to pile your plate with vegetables. Now, we just do not in the UK get enough. I don't know what it's like over there, but we do not get enough fiber. We do not get our fibre a day, which the target should be higher and the diversity of plant-based foods we should be getting in our diet. So what are your tips for um, people, I guess, to try and do what you've suggested if they're volume eaters and get all those veggies in? Yeah, first of all, own the fact that you're a volume
3: eater. I feel like so many people have been put on diets where they're encouraged to eat less and you do not need to eat less to weigh less. It is a principle that I have proven day in and day out of my life. And it's only when I just accepted the fact that I'm a volume eater, I have to feel full or else I can't move on with my day. Like I love what you said, like eat, enjoy and move on. I mean. I was so, when I was much heavier and struggling with my weight, it also came with being constantly preoccupied with food. Like as I was eating, I was planning my next meal. And mm-hmm. anytime I went on like a calorie restricted or something diet, it only intensified all of that for me. It only made me think more and more and more of like, how am I going to use the rest of my calories the day and everything else like that? Versus when I just own the fact that I'm a volume eater and saw that veggies, like low starchy veggies are your best friend, I actually started to view them as my comfort foods, which makes losing weight and keeping it off for years and years, even through kids and so forth, a breeze. Um, And people hear like, oh my God, veggies are her comfort food. Like how unrealistic and unattainable is that? But like if you saw the kite the type of like dressings and ranch dressing and buffalo barbecue sauce and cheese and mm-hmm. and butter and parmesan and things that like I'm not afraid to put on my green beans and Brussels sprouts and broccoli and cauliflower rice and and all of that, like you would feel just as satisfied. I mean, our recipes are amazing. Like I saw you you even have on your website, like a cauliflower mac and cheese. Mm. It's delicious. Like I think everyone needs to come. To some, if you're trying to lose weight, I find like the sooner you come to some realizations, the better. Because I know that that's really what changed my whole mindset and made me really positive and excited about weight loss and never feel deprived about it. But I just, I took the point of I used to eat buttered popcorn in front of the television and I was struggling and crying and hating my body and hating my weight. And then I realized, you know what? I still have the habit of. Watching television, wanting to eat the whole time, something buttery and salty. Mm-hmm. Why don't I take like two frozen blocks of two frozen blocks of frozen broccoli, defrost it, and then pour a little butter and salt on that, and then just eat a huge bowl of broccoli. I mean, this is when I was 13 years old, and when I saw I could do that, and I could start losing weight and feeling good in my body, and of course, like let's not even mention all the benefits of eating lots of broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts does to your gut health, your mental health, your Mm. digestive health and so forth. But like even just to feeling full and feeling comfortable in your body, it became the most comforting thing in the world. And now I, you know, those are foods that I'm quickest to make, quickest to buy, quickest to eat and enjoy. Mm -hmm. And it just makes weight loss so much easier because when you get really full on that, it really helps build self-control around the other things that you can still have. But if I were going hungry into eating a box of chocolate, I would never stop at one. But when I started allowing myself to volume eat the foods that you can absolutely volume eat, it's built self-control like no other where I could have a chocolate from that box or I cannot. But I could definitely keep it in my house and I used to never be able to do that. So through my program and all my like you know principles and and the ongoing you know videos and messages you get from my program you really build this like incredible sense of self control which i find is even better and more exciting than even the before and after pictures and
2: you know weight loss numbers mm, and that's why I so i just couldn't wait to have this conversation with you because i'm so aware that for a lot of my listeners, um, you know, weight loss, some of them, it's not what they want, for others, it is. But there's an approach that's going to work for everybody and you just have to find it. And for some, it might be they just stick to intuitive eating and for others, they embark upon a weight loss program and for some people, it's something else. I do think if you find what works for you and like, I loved what you said about the broccoli and it, it made me chuckle because my son, he's only 10 months old, but broccoli, he's obsessed. I mean, all I have to do is put a stick of broccoli in front of him and he will ram it in his mouth. And you I know feel I my like- best advice for you right now,
3: is just take lots of pictures and videos. Like I have tons of pictures and videos of my daughter doing that. So now at six years old, when it's easy to get influenced by other kids and like pretend like you're picky for a minute, Mm. um, I just pick those pictures right back. I'm like, nope, you love it, girl.
2: (laughs) That's brilliant. I'm gonna remember that one. That's really helpful. It It, is definitely, I feel like we lose over time as we grow up. Um, the way we eat. Because when you're young, you you kind of stop when you're hungry and full. Well, you start when you're hungry and you stop when you're full. You'll cry until you get food when you're hungry. What do you think has got us to a point where we've completely lost that innate ability to regulate hunger hormones? Hold
0: up.
3: favorite thing to watch my kids practice mm. intuitive eating um, because I didn't have that and I, I so I think what it comes from, at least in my childhood, I really think it came down to modeling. Uh, mm. You know, I never saw my parents leave any food on their plate, so I never left any food on mine. I think, you know, when it comes to nature versus nurture, there is so much in nurture that can help or hurt you when it comes to a relationship with food. My father has all these stories because he really battled with his weight when I was a kid. And now he's down 60 pounds with me and has kept it off for like eight years. So I'm so proud of him. Mm -hmm. He's like the beacon of health now. I Mm -hmm. love it. But, um, you know, I, I watched him devour and devour and my mom just devour food and binge on food. And... I think it at an early age, I didn't, I was never told, like, are you hungry? Are you full? Do you want any more? It was all just a food free-for-all. And all the language around food was based on food addiction and food obsession. So my dad used to give us this line like on our way to a wedding or something, and he would be like, Hey kids, what's better than food? And then he would say scream free food (laughs) like like really really (laughs) toxic like really really toxic uh bad stuff and so you know i think obviously we're born with an innate skill to you know have a sense an intuitive sense of eating but i really think it could either be nurtured within your household or you know or completely squashed altogether so i'm thankful when i see my kids practice you know a sense of not having to finish a bag of chips or a full slice of cake and things like that and say they're full uh, and satisfied because it, it goes to show that you know my husband and i are are thankfully practicing that to some degree
2: yeah, it's all in the language we use, and the role, role modeling is so important, and it's something we definitely underestimate. And, but it's not too late for us adults, of course, um, and for people listening. Never. There is a way, isn't there, of finding... So, Ilana, finding a balance is what I guess I'm trying to say between... Oh, listening if, to by the way, and it is never to
3: too late to get it together. Yeah. I have clients who are... I mean, my dad. My dad is 65. I mean, he is... On it. I mean, I have clients 60s, 70s, I mean, 80s, even. It's never too late to get it together. And it's especially never too late to acquire a healthier relationship with food. Because as Mm -hmm. much as people want to say, like, you know, eat whatever you want, we all die anyway. It's just the facts are just not true. It's just not true. Like, you could either die healthy and well and energetic, or you can you know and as dietitians we work in a hospital we see the ramifications of having chronic kidney disease and diabetes and stuff like that like it's not it's not as enjoyable long term mm-hmm. to to have those things so it's it's never too late to get it together and it's never too late to it, when you just start eating more vegetables you can start seeing impacts in your gut health in your inflammatory health and your energy levels especially, certainly your weight, like within days, if not weeks. So it's absolutely never too late to get it together. I think that's an extremely important message we continue to get to cross.
2: Yeah, so, so lovely. And it's not too late to get inspiration in cooking. I feel that for a lot of clients we have in the nutrition clinic, it's the fact that there just isn't an innate love to cook, which (laughs) I get it. You know, if you're not brought up cooking in a household and you're time poor, but I do feel at the same time, there are some excuses we can all make, like we all say we're too busy. So what advice would you give then Alana to people that need to get cooking and meal prep perhaps?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think people uh, are, especially when it comes to vegetables, people think they have to be complicated. And there's so many ways. I mean, 2021, it's actually never been easier to lose weight. And like, I know people might hear that and think it's crazy because our obesity rate has never been higher. But at the end of the day, like when I was losing weight, I didn't have zucchini noodles. I didn't have cauliflower rice. I didn't have High protein potato chips. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, there are so many amazing, amazing advances in foods and flavors and cleaner ingredients. And right now, you can get bottled teriyaki sauces and stir fry mixes that are just, they make it so convenient. So, I think people have to take the judgment out. I think there's an intimidation factor that it's, again, like all or nothing. Like, either I'm making this incredible two hour long meal from scratch, or I'm ordering tacos and pasta and pizza. But I mean, I play that middle ground all day long, like literally just taking a frozen bag of a stir fried veggie mix and just whisking together like a little soy sauce and sesame oil and putting that together in a pan or even just roasting it on a sheet pan and throwing it in the oven or using the air fryer uh lately so i mean there's just so many options frozen vegetables are amazing degree of shortcut mm. i also love uh, shredded cabbage like within my book you can drop it i wanted to try to break down the barrier of food being complicated and cooking veggies as complicated So I really just wanted to focus on five veggies, five ways. So I also included like some breakfast options like a a peanut butter and jelly, like Greek yogurt bowl and other things. But the bulk of the recipes in my book are five veggies, five ways. Because I wanted people to focus on just having to buy five vegetables and not having to think they need to buy 300. So like when it like cabbage is one of them cabbage, it's cheap. You could buy it all year. It's inexpensive and the best part is it can last, a whole cabbage can last mm. in the back of your refrigerator for three to four weeks. <laughs> so so true. And you can literally just slice it vertically, put it on a baking sheet and roast it into cabbage steaks. So I think people like definitely need to find your recipes, find my recipes, see that it's easy. It definitely helps to watch cooking videos um, yeah. because you could either watch baking cooking videos <laughs> or you can watch, you know, like my, nutrition on um, Body Nutrition Plus, like I have, you know, every month I come out with eight different recipe videos. It, it really is easy and sometimes it helps to watch someone do it uh, because that like breaks down the barrier and makes it a little bit more possible. So I mean, TikTok, yeah. YouTube, thankfully there's a lot of like, if you just use hashtag veggies or healthy or healthy recipe or weight loss recipes, you know, I think it would definitely help if people got more of a visual
1: as well
2: yeah a hundred percent and sorry, one last question before I move on to questions from our listeners for you and um, that would be your thoughts on measuring and weighing ingredients because I think this is so confusing for people for some it can cause problems and for others it doesn't so what are your take on um, on that yeah I've never used a food scale in my life
3: I have one in my kitchen for like, I used to do Instagram posts, like uh, comparing, you know, just nutrition. So I would keep it for that. Like I would take it out for doing social media posts. So I actually knew what hundred grams of grapes looked like if I was trying to make an infographic with it. But um, I personally don't use one because again, like when I track my food in like my food journal, I'm just writing chicken thigh or I'll write large chicken breast or I'll write half of a chicken breast or I'll write two eggs or, you know, things like that. So I do recommend for easier tracking, if people don't want to use a food scale or measuring cups to use like trackable foods, like 100 calorie packs or containers of Greek yogurt rather than a large one, which could be a little bit more pricey and wasteful, uh, but it can make, you know, everyday tracking if you're a really busy person a, a lot easier. Um, but, you know, sometimes I work with a client who comes from a world of tracking their food, using food scales and measuring cups. And I don't tell them to stop because it's clearly something that makes them feel more comfortable. So I definitely think if you are not the type of person using those measuring devices, you definitely don't need to start to be one I've, you know, very happily and healthily maintained my weight loss and live my life without it. Um, In a busy, very hectic life, mom working, all that stuff. Mm. But if it's something that makes you happy, then, you know...
2: Yeah. I think everything you've just said makes perfect sense. And you do have to kind of find out what makes you tick and learn what does make you happy and what doesn't. Now we have questions from our listeners for you, Alana. So I'm going to fire away with some of those. And this is actually good because we haven't, we haven't touched on alcohol yet. The first one is from Lizzie. Lizzie has said, is alcohol one of the biggest triggers for putting on weight?
3: Uh, It can be. I can be. Uh, I do think it's really helpful when someone identifies if they're an eater or a drinker, because there are plenty of people who are just eaters. Like most of my clients are really like food people. They love food, they're eaters, and they just happen to drink a lot. And that can really mess up a person's weight loss, because then what happens is when you drink, you're not someone who's like satisfied by the feeling of, of drunk. It actually can just induce you to feel hungry because it's not a feeling you're used to being under the you know influence of alcohol. It's not a feeling you're used to, it can make you a little antsy or uncomfortable and you might c- confuse that feeling with hunger and then start kind of like eating as a means of reversing it and just eating more mindlessly and more. Um, so if you are trying to lose weight and you find that like you're just drinking tons, I mean, I've spoken to so many people at this stage in the pandemic that once they just realize i don't need to drink a bottle of wine every night to get by they just lost so much weight and it's not only from all the sugar and calories you're saving from the drinking but it's like the whole series of habits that take place when you start drinking now you're not sleeping as well and now you're not as energetic to work out the next morning and now when you're hungover it's much easier to crave carbs and greasy foods Mm -hmm. and make yourself a salad so I mean, if you are trying to lose weight and you've been in the habit of drinking and it's not even something you always love to do, it's just a habit you've taken on in the last you know, couple of months or years, I highly recommend, highly recommend phasing it out.
2: Yeah, very, very good advice. Now, Henry has said coffee. What about coffee when it comes to my weight?
3: I love coffee. Um, I always tell people, no one's taking my coffee, so I'm not taking anyone else's. Um, but, you know, it the first best tip I could give someone who wants to lose weight and drink coffee is make sure you're drinking water first. Uh, this also goes with alcohol. You always want to be having you know, at least 16 ounces of water before your morning cup of coffee. We wake up incredibly dehydrated. It's very easy to confuse that feeling with a sense of hunger and fogginess and exhaustion and so forth, which just makes people drive themselves to more and more caffeine, but really try to always have water first prior to having your cup of coffee and like make it a game. Like I get to have my coffee after I finish my water. It is a very healthy little game yeah. and principle to play with yourself. Um, so always have water first and try to alternate every cup with more water. Um, I definitely recommend keeping all caffeine to prior to like 11 a.m. if you can, just so it doesn't interrupt your sleep because sleep is such Everything. a magical <laughs> worker when you're trying to lose weight it could help you so much if you're sleeping well so definitely do that and then when it comes to what you're adding into your coffee you know you really want to try to choose a lower fat and a lower sugar you know milk creamer option yeah and
2: i guess um like you said don't take away things you enjoy but i'm really glad you touched on the sleep because as a new mom and i'm sure you you remember it really well God, you notice it. I mean, sleep is everything. Sleep is the best thing in life that you were ever gifted with if you can sleep well. Yeah,
3: I mean, I think it is totally the heart of postpartum depression Yes, is the lack of sleep. Like once you get a good night's sleep or you have a friend sleep over a few nights or a parent or a nurse, if you can get one, it's like amazing how much more you can find your happiness. It's sleep is is absolutely critical. It's oh, so super much. tough for new parents and shift workers.
2: It, it really is. And, and that's another thing for people losing losing weight, because um, Amy said, I work night shifts. So she said, I'm confused about snacking. Is snacking a good thing or a bad thing when it comes to weight?
3: Snacking should never be a verb. It should always be a noun.
2: Uh, mm. So when
3: I learned that, my gosh, it just made my whole life so much easier. A snack is meant to be, some some base of food that you eat between meals to keep you full, right? So it should be a set thing of you know carrots and hummus and maybe a hard boiled egg or you know like a higher protein, higher fiber oatmeal cookie you make or or something like that. But snacking puts you into this. It, it's just no way in like today's day and age with all the distractions we have and social media and work and family obligations like. That you can really be snacking mindfully. It's just, it's mm. too easy to be mindlessly snacking all day. And that's why I really recommend people write down their food every day because, I mean, I have friends who are always text me, Alana, I have weight to lose after my baby. And like, what do I do? I'm drinking water, I'm eating vegetables. And I'm like, but you're not writing down your food. And it is just too easy in 2021 to treat your mouth like a vacuum. When we're like constantly getting new information and not knowing how to digest it and all this stuff. So I recommend when it comes to quote unquote snacking, uh, try to make it feel more like a snack that you plan for. And it has a very clear start point and end point uh, rather than, you know, just having past 8 p.m. or 3 to 5 p.m. just be this like whole snack fest.
2: Yeah, very, very good advice. Now we do move on to the best part, I think, in the podcast anyway, which is the fact or fiction round. So are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> Just to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, right, I love if it. you could answer, Alana, fact or fiction to the following questions, here we go. Willpower is responsible for your weight.
3: Totally false, fiction.
2: There you go, three meals a day plus snacks is overeating. Depends on the person. Love it. You can expand on them, by the way. You can definitely expand. Yeah,
3: depends on the person. As a volume meter, very likely. Um, You know, if if your snacks are, you know, crazy, but if you're eating the right foods, it could be totally uh, fiction.
2: There you go. High expectations can set you up to fail. I don't think so. Uh, I think uh, fiction.
3: I think high expectations help you manifest a great outcome. As long as high expectations also come with like step by step track towards getting there. Like I always say you want to lose weight two pounds at a time because I truly lost my 100 pounds two pounds at a time. But if I never had that 100 pound weight loss goal, I don't
2: think I would have hit it either. Mm. Restrictive diets will be unsustainable. Oh no, will be sustainable for the long term. Well, that's obviously false. I don't think anyone <laughs> thinks that's true. <laughs> Upping your protein will help you eat less. It can. True. To lose weight, you're best avoiding gluten. False. Fiction. Thank goodness. Um, eighty twenty. the 80, 20 rule is the best balanced approach to how you eat. I think it's really hard for people to like, <laughs> get a sense of what that
3: 80, 20 looks like, mm. um, and like, for me, I have the slowest metabolism on the planet. I think mine has to look a little closer to 90, 10.
2: So, um, I'd say fiction. Stress always fluctuates your weight. fiction it can but you can control that food and fitness apps help you lose weight faster (laughs) i'll say
3: true i'll say true because forms of accountability will always help
2: yeah and the last question supplements can help trigger weight loss faster false fiction i think if there was a magic supplement we would all be on it Tell me about it. I think that's definitely the right. Well done. That was a great fact or fiction round. The thing is, it's so hard because there's so many nuances and there's so many things to be said on each and every question, but that's why we put it in just to prove that nutrition is a science. It's complicated. It's definitely not black and white. Um,
3: And it's not one size fits all.
2: Yes, exactly. It will never be one size fits all. And that is all we've got time for today, unfortunately, but we do always finish with a food for thought at the end of each episode. So I'll start today by just saying the fact that I really do think that weight loss is complex. It's not straightforward. And I I love what Alana said. Well, you have to kind of figure out who you are, what type of ET you are, and what's going to work for you. But don't give up because there'll be lots of people that will say, oh, well, it's all right for her. or It's all right for him. They live like this and they have that. But when it comes down to it, and that's why I wanted to do this podcast episode with you, Alana, because I feel that weight loss has become almost a bit taboo when people talk about it. Like it's almost bad if somebody unfortunately says, oh, I want to lose weight. There's a whole brigade out there that will say, well, you're not allowed to lose weight. It's a very, it's a very touchy subject. And I think oh, that it's, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. When P- that's, you've been there. And I think that's what I like is that you've been there. So if you could leave our listeners with a take home food for thought today, what would that be?
3: I think I I love a line I said recently on a call. Um, you can't be body positive without doing positive things for your body, mm. and I think it's really important that that's the new message because the both extremes of eat whatever you want and that's great, and you know diet and restrict because skinny is the only way are both lethal for our mental and physical health, but there has to be a middle ground and being able to control your weight and eat well is actually a life skill. And the sooner you understand it and you attain it, the better your whole life can be. And you could have the best of both worlds. But I I really think it's worth putting in the work to to do some self-study and learning how you can lose weight in your style and fashion, which is what I teach within my book. You can drop it in my program because it it really can be the most freeing thing ever. And you can learn that it, it really doesn't have to be all or nothing. It just has to incredibly be your style of what you
2: make sense for your life. That was wonderful. I think that's a brilliant food for thought. Um, a hundred percent. You're so right. It's a life skill. And the sooner that we stop demonizing people that want to learn that life skill, the better, because clearly we, we need to be responsible. And as you know, registered health professionals doing our bit to help others. Now, Alana, where can our listeners go to find out more about the lovely work that you're doing? Uh, at
3: uh, AlanaMolstein.com and my book uh, that you can get everywhere. It's called You Can Drop It and it's available where all books are sold. And then if you have a beach Beachbody um, or you want to get my program, you could just go to two, the number two, themindset.com.
2: Amazing. Alana. thank you so, so much for giving up your valuable time. It was great to chat to you and have you on Food for Thought. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the final episode in series 10 of Food for Thought. I truly hope that you've learned how our bodies are really as unique as our personalities and that it gives you the confidence to enjoy life to the fullest by following evidence-based advice. I'd just like to share a huge thanks to all of you listeners and my, my wonderful guests. I couldn't do any of this without you. So if you have the time and you've really enjoyed Food for Thought, please do leave a review. This will help us then reach the higher highs in the charts, and that's our goal, to reach more and more people with this information. So if you'd like to learn more about my Retrition Clinic, the books, healthy recipes, and so much more, please do visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.